Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 19. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. For some reason unknown to me, our lesson last Wednesday was well, relatively well received on sermonaudio.com. It was heard by at least 60 people, which is three times the usual number for some reason or other. That is in no way an expression of pride because many of the messages of other people are heard hundreds of times, if not thousands of times over sermon audio. And by the way, I didn't tell you that one message that I preached a couple of years ago was heard about 250 times. So what I'm saying is this is not an expression of pride or boasting. 60 people downloaded our message, listened to the message last uh, uh, Wednesday evening. So why do I bring it up? To point out that I don't know why it was so well received. I have no idea. Perhaps it was the title, Obedience's Most Important Element which perhaps created a little more curiosity than uh, uh, just a message on faith. That, If you'll remember, that's what the subject was. Obedience, most important element, is faith. Well, to obfuscate and yet entice a few more listeners this week, I have given this message the ear-catching title, The Importance of reality. The importance of reality, which is actually about the importance of living in reality. Obviously, a title like that could refer to a great many things, or perhaps nothing at all, depending on how it's developed. Depends on the reality to which I refer. And this reality is Drum roll. This reality is that you and I have nothing in which to boast before God. That's the reality. We have absolutely nothing, not even the number of plays on sermon audio, that we can boast of before God. Perhaps as much as we like to think that the world revolves around us, it doesn't. And as much as we like to picture ourselves as kings and queens, we're only little people in the kingdom of God. As much as we enjoy the accolades of others, we should be satisfied and delighted with simply being servants and worshipers of our Lord, whether or not we have anything else beyond the smile of our Savior. That should thrill us. That should satisfy us. Our lesson tonight involves what the Bible tells us about humility. What the Bible says about humility. My opinions on the subject do not matter. I am certainly not an expert in humility. 
I'm not planning on publishing any books on the subject in the near future. Recently, I heard a few jokes about humility. That's fine because they were meant to be witty and they were received with uh, some degree of, of laughter. This lesson is not a response. This lesson is not a rebuke to those jokes, those comments. However, I do want to point out that living in reality, living in the reality of our littleness, our smallness, is important, especially to the child of God. As I was thinking about this subject, it seemed to me that there are far more messages condemning humility's antithesis than there are messages extolling humility itself. Without getting bogged down in the detailed examination of pride, I do have to start there. But we'll quickly leave that and move on to the blessings of humility and then hopefully the necessity of humility. What are the problems with pride? I won't go into any details because number one, you are probably familiar with some of these problems. And then it's not my primary purpose. Pride is a sin. It is idolatry. It is expressed in various forms of blasphemy. A high look, a proud heart, the plowing of the wicked, it is sin. Proverbs 21.4 These six things doth the Lord hate. Seven are abomination unto him, beginning with the proud look. The word abomination essentially means disgusting. Pride disgusts God. Proud people disgust God. And that includes the Christians who are proud of themselves. Pride is not of God. It is of the world. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. I don't know how many times my wife has reminded me, not speaking about my pride, she's reminding me of something else. She's told me several times that her father, toward the end of his life, said that he'd never heard a message on the pride of life. Suggesting that perhaps I should address that subject without ever saying so directly. Perhaps one reason for the lack of messages on that subject is because there are no clear scriptures which say this is the meaning of the pride of life, which opens the door for speculation by the preacher or in this particular case by me. So I will assume that the pride of life speaks about the pride which comes automatically with the accumulation of days with the stuff which we accumulate over time, which just comes along with, with, with life. Unless we work at humility, 
we will become victims of the pride of life. For most people, the pride of life grows over the years until we get to be 70 or 74, and then we have plenty of things to boast about, plenty of victories in our lives. We have those victories. We've even got a couple of plastic trophies to say we've been victorious in this or that and the other thing. We have a few friends who have come and gone. Maybe a small inheritance to leave to our exceptionally wonderful children. We have so many things by the end of our lives that we can rejoice in, we can be proud of. But pride is a horrible thing in the sight of God because it robs the Lord of the glory due unto him alone. The Bible speaks about pride as puffing us up. It turns people into balloons. Balloons don't last very long. Most often, or quite often, they just explode. On the other hand, not only is pride puffing up, like a balloon, it's also a fetter or a handcuff. Binding our hands together keeps us bound to the world from which it comes. Pride compasseth the wicked like a chain. Proverbs, Psalm 73, 6. It not only binds, but it blinds. The more pride we possess, the less likely we are going to see reality. We're seeing our hopes of reality, our personal perception of reality, which may not be reality. The Lord said to the church of the Laodiceans, Because thou sayest, I am rich, you say you're rich, increased with goods, you say that you have no need, you have need of nothing, Knowest thou not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Because of that pride, I see myself in all of these great things. You're not recognizing the reality. Don't you understand that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Or putting it another way, pride robs us of potential wisdom. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly there is wisdom. Proverbs 11, verse number 2. I'm sure that with uh, more thought and uh, a few other scriptures, we could come up with some other things which describe the wickedness of pride, the problems of pride. But even without biblical references, it's easy to say that it is a debilitating poison. It robs from us the ability to serve the Lord. And it is a disease which can spread from one person to another. Humility is not easily spread. Viruses, they spread. Health doesn't spread very well. Viruses do. Pride does. We could spend a few more minutes on this aspect of our subject, but let's move on. Just sharing a few scriptures, we can easily see, easily see the blessings of humility. Maybe I need to define humility. Do I need to do that? I don't know that I can. <laughs> 
It's living in the reality of who and what we are in the sight of God. Or maybe we could even add in the sight of our fellow man. In a 2,000-page book of quotations, which sits right there on my desk as I'm looking into my computer screen, in this 2,000-page uh, book of quotations, a man named Colton, I have no idea who he is, said, he's often quoted in that book, he that places himself neither higher nor lower than he ought to do exercises the truest humility. Another man put it this way, by humility I mean not the abjectness of a base mind, but a prudent care not to overvalue ourselves upon any account. Accuracy, reality, honesty. Humility is not belittling or running down ourselves, it's recognizing we are not more than what we really are. It's acting and thinking honestly. It's living in the reality of who we are. With this kind of attitude, what are the blessings of biblical humility? Proverbs 22, 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And to that we can add grace, 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Doesn't the average person want life? Prosperity? If he knew any better, he'd say, grace, these things. Yes, we want these things. The gifts of God are not to be matched by anyone or any organization in this world. The Library of Congress offers honors every year to people with creativity. The White House bestows medals on people. The Swedish Academy, the Royal Swedish Academy, I'm sorry you others, uh, Norwegians, uh, bestows the Nobel Prize with thousands of dollars to people that they want to honor. Various Hollywood and Nashville groups pass out awards every year. But nothing man offers can match heaven's riches and grace, prosperity, life. There are buildings across this country housing one hall of fame or another one which one day will be reduced to less than, than atoms when God destroys this place. And all the great people in these halls of fame, forgotten. But the honor that God bestows upon the humble will last forever. Yes. James says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 4.10. Isaiah 57.15. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth, inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him 
that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Revival will be experienced only by the humble. Proud, left out. The Lord Jesus said, Whosoever shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. All of these passages are true. We have scriptural authority to declare them as the truth. And when the Lord magnifies them, then there are certain things which the God's servants should strive to attain. We want these things. Therefore, we need to bow down. In some ways, these things that I've just gone through are a bit uh, general, a bit nebulous. So let's get a little more practical. The reality is, humanity is, or excuse me, humility is essential to living as Christians ought to live. We will not be the Christian that we are supposed to be without a certain degree of humility. The things we are supposed to do as servants of God are impossible without proper humility. Humility is the ring on the Christian's finger which permits her to come into the bridegroom's chamber. Humility is the key which unlocks those rooms in which we worship and serve the Lord. Humility is the invitation which uh, uh, brings the Holy Spirit into our Christian activities. For example, is there any room for pride in the worship of the Lord? Doesn't it take humility to properly approach God? Wasn't that a part of Jesus' description of the uh, publican and the Pharisee who went into the temple to worship the Lord? The Pharisee pictured himself more highly than he should. And as a result, God didn't look at him at all. The publican, however, worshipped God in the reality of the facts. And therefore he said, be merciful to me, O God. That was a humble statement based on the truth. The Lord will not even acknowledge our praise if there's the least bit of self-praise involved in it. He wants it all. He has every right to it all. Similarly, that Pharisee prayed thus with himself. In a few minutes, we are going to go into the Lord's throne room filled with requests for his blessings. If there is any thought in us that these blessings are deserved, they will not be granted. If we think that we have somehow earned the Lord's ear, we are mistaken. We are told, God heareth not sinners. And if we come in our pride, which is sinful, before the Lord, He will ignore us, so to speak. One of our Christian responsibilities is fellowship with the brethren. But what happens to that fellowship when pride 
wiggles its way into the occasion. In that book of quotations, I found this one. Humility is the first of the virtues for other people. For other people. Humility is something that we look for in other people. We don't look for it in ourselves. We just know it's there. Or something like that. Generally, people hate overt pride. General statement. Most of the time, we despise arrogance. The other team's wide receiver just caught a magnificent touchdown pass. And half of his team goes running down to greet him in the end zone. And then they begin their previously choreographed victory dance. And my stomach churns. We see it and we sneer. And perhaps that's what they want, want you to do because they're in your field. But what is initially disgusting is made even more disgusting by the fact that they're still trailing by three touchdowns. Where do they have any right to display pride? Reality should dictate humility at that point. Now, if that score tied the game with uh, just a few seconds left and the uh, PAT to come, then maybe there's room for some rejoicing. Not until. Don't we generally turn away from the proud man? How difficult it is to love and enjoy the pride-filled man, especially in the light of his obvious failures. Now, we are supposed to fellowship one with another. But if one of us is better than everybody else, we're going to avoid him, or at least we should. Humility is the perfume which enables us to enjoy each other's company, despite the stench. By the way, not all these statements are coming out of that quotation book. Some of them are... <laughs> Just say it. There's no pride in that. This is just... Also, humility is absolutely essential in order to carry on our service for Christ. There's Philip in Samaria. Winning victory after victory. Souls are trusting Christ. Churches are, are popping up in, in strange places there in Samaria. How easy it would have been for the former deacon to become puffed up in the success that the, he was having. I almost said that the Lord was giving him, which is of course true. How easy it might have been for him to become proud of what he was doing there in Samaria. Thankfully, he was not. And then the Holy Spirit came to him with an extraordinary commission. Leave Samaria and those victories to travel down to Gaza to meet a stranger there. We can and should point to that man's faith, Philip's faith, and his love for the unsaved, and his love for Christ. 
But another aspect to his ministry was humility sufficient to walk away from the ease of Samaria and to run down into Gaza to do the Lord's will. Humility is a necessary ingredient to know God's will for our ministry, whoever we might be. And look at David as an illustration of humility in the ministry, just in a general sense. Goliath stands before the Lord's people like a monolith of ungodly unbelief, challenging the people of God. But providence brings young David to the scene of battle. Part of the victory that day was David's youth, was his inexperience, was his faith. He didn't tell his brother. He didn't tell his king. He didn't tell his opponent how big and strong he was. He lived in the reality. He was just a stripling, a young man. But at the same time, he didn't denigrate himself either. He wasn't boasting when he mentioned that he had killed the lion and the bear. What he was trying to do is convince the king to let him have a ministry. And when David spoke to Goliath, it was to say that he was the representative of the omnipotent God. Surrender your pride, you big oaf, or come tumbling down under the spirit-directed pebble that I intend to shoot at you. Once again, we could and should talk about David's faith, about his past experiences, about his development under God's providence. All of this is important. But a point not to be forgotten is that David approached his duties knowing who and what he was. With humility, he was living in the reality that he was only one of God's servants. And he needed God's power in order to accomplish God's will. His plea was little more than, is there not a cause? We have work to do. That wasn't a boast. Doesn't even come close to boasting. That is what the Lord asks and expects from all of us, no matter what our ministry might be. Humility to be and do the servant God wants us to be. And finally, humility is a necessity for the preaching and the general sharing of the gospel. I pointed out last Sunday that the Lord Jesus made a spectacle of himself that uh, Feast of Tabernacles. But there was absolutely no undue pride in our Savior when he said, come unto me and drink. Or when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's, that's a very important reality. But obviously, you and I should never do anything more than repeat the words of the Redeemer. The moment we imply that we are conduits of the Lord's message, we corrupt that message. We may be priests, but not in the sense of the false religions that we are essential agents for the distribution of grace. We are priests only in that we 
are asked to sacrifice ourselves and to offer the sacrifices of thanksgiving unto the Lord. We need to be willing to admit that we're still students of the Lord in this gospel preaching business. I don't understand the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of the love of God. And I don't believe the man who says, I do understand those things. I don't understand the conversation and the counsel that took place between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternity past, which brought about this business of salvation, the preaching of the gospel. We may think we know what's going on in that lost person's heart as he's uh, sitting there listening to us uh, declare the truth, but we really don't. When the preacher presents the gospel, leaving the impression that he is in control of the service, his service will fall flat to the floor like an exploded balloon. The more human pride there is in any sort of ministry, the less the Holy Spirit will be there to bless that ministry. But true humility gives us the opportunity to be filled with the power of the Godhead. Again, we'll be going to prayer here in just a few minutes. In doing that, we need to recognize our infirmities even in prayer. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. How can we demand our will while in the ignorance of God's will? All we can do is humbly beseech the Lord for things that will please Him. Hopefully, we will be seeing the things we desire, but it's not about our desire. It's about the Lord's will. Yes. How can we pray for God's glory when we are actually praying about our personal happiness? In the area of prayer, it's important that we live in the light of reality. And that means to pray with humility. Everything we do should be with humility.